Are you a gig worker or self-employed? Wombly has helped over 100,000 small businesses get a PPP loan. You may qualify for up to $41,000 in 100% forgivable loans. The program ends soon and funds are limited. Apply now at wompley.com slash apply. That's W-O-M-P-L-Y dot com slash apply. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. It's good to be back on the air with you, Brent. I feel like it's been uh, months. I don't know if it's been quite that long, but it's certainly been longer than normal. So that, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So today uh, we're we are, I guess, just about a week into the month of April now, um, and Generation Progress and many in the criminal justice reform space uh, recognize April each year as Second Chance Month. Um, and although this is uh, and and should be happening year round. Second Chance Month provides an extra opportunity to examine the impacts of collateral consequences for justice-involved people and really work towards um, solutions that would allow people to move forward with their lives and realize their full potential without these added barriers that collateral consequences uh, pose. Uh, So to talk with us more about justice reform and collateral consequences and especially how they impact young people uh, and what can be done to mitigate the impact of collateral consequences. We are joined today by two expert guests, Hakeem Crampton, a movement and capacity building specialist with Just Leadership USA. Hey, Hakeem, thanks for joining us. And we are also joined by Dewey Pham, a policy analyst at the Center for Law and Social Policy, also known as CLASP. Thanks for joining us, Dewey. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to, to just sort of jump in and start us off, Hakeem, can you tell us a little bit about about yourself and the work that you're doing at Just Leadership USA and, and the organization itself? Sure. Yes. And thank you for having me. <clears throat> Unfortunately, for many people uh, in America, uh, they have long histories of associations with uh, criminal court systems. And I happen to be one of those young people. I'm 48 years old and I have a long history of association with the criminal court system um, all the way back to 1984 as a juvenile. Uh, Unfortunately, I was arrested as a juvenile in school in the sixth grade. Um, And and it led to a a numerous uh, history of run-ins in and out of the juvenile home um, until ultimate adult incarceration, in which I was wrongly convicted in 1991 of a murder in the city of Milwaukee and sentenced to 45 years in prison. It took me 15 years to win my freedom with the help of the Wisconsin Innocence Project Um, and several community activists. Um, And while I was incarcerated, I began advocacy work, working with uh, juvenile offenders, actually, and and, and students in schools 
Um, I began mentoring and working directly from prison, doing advocacy work, program evaluation. Um, and it ultimately led to me, when I got my release, to begin working in the community, working in juvenile justice, working in community, uh, community advocacy um, and organizing. And ultimately led me to Just Leadership USA, an organization I now work for based out of New York, originally based out of New York. Um, and it's an organization of primarily formerly incarcerated persons or persons with criminal history involvement whose mission is to really inspire um, other formerly incarcerated persons or persons with criminal histories to actually help move the needle of criminal justice advocacy. So it's all about leadership development and, and, and training and advocacy. Um, and so through this organization, this model is that those closer to the problem are actually closer to the solution, but they are the ones that are furthest from having access to power and resources to bring about a change or a difference uh, in the advocacy community. Um, and so therefore this organization is really dedicated um, to really developing leaders, um, people that were had criminal history contact who provide the best sort of, of insight um, and expertise because they have directly experienced them. And so it's a great pleasure to work in this capacity and to be able to provide um, support to other organizations and, and other advocates working in, in this field, wanting to really have a change um, upon the climate of what's happening with our criminal system. Thanks, Hakeem, and just appreciate you um, for the work that you're doing, for sharing your story, and for um, the work that, that you and Just Leadership are leading. Uh, I know you mentioned New York, but certainly around the country as well, um, including in Michigan and other places, and so really looking forward to talking more about the work that you're doing and, 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 and the ways in which folks who might be listening at home can get involved and, and be supportive as well in terms of seeing what some of the solutions are that need to come to pass. Uh, Dewey, what is what is the mission of CLASP and, and how did you come to this work? Uh, and just to talk a, a bit about the work that you're that you're doing here as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Brent. And thanks so much, Hakeem. I'm really big fans of Just Leadership over here as well. They've been a longtime partner of ours and really admire the work of you, as well as Deanna Hoskins um, helming that organization there. Um, so CLASP, we're Center for Law and Social Policy, about a 50-year-old anti-poverty advocacy organization in Washington, D.C., um, really working across the state and national level, local levels as well, on anti-poverty policies and specifically also on racial equity. Um, so kind of where we kind of fit into this, like really recognizing that we can't really have an honest conversation about anti-poverty and racial equity without also thinking about the devastating impact of the criminal justice, criminal legal system that it has on people of color, people with low incomes, um, and how that really inhibits people from accessing economic opportunity. And so uh, really our kind of our um, intersection here is thinking a lot about what economic justice means. And to us, economic justice also means that ensuring that people who have been impacted, you know, targeted by a racist criminal justice system, that's really, you know, that, uh, you know, the state and the public systems have really failed, um, making sure that there's economic opportunity that's, that's accessible to them, um, really just on a broad range of issues, including workforce development, education, pathways, um, you know, access to work supports, income and work support, um, public benefits, health care, um, job quality, um, child care and early education, and things like that. Um, yeah, so I think, and for me personally, I started a class about five or six years ago, really, um, yeah, definitely just I'm really, you know, passionate about justice, economic justice, and um, and knowing that you know people who have records and have been impacted by the criminal legal system um, really face you know these barriers that society has put. That's not due to individual actions. That we really need to um, 
kind of mitigate and eliminate essentially to really realize justice in this country. Great. Thanks, Julie. Um, and appreciate the work that you're doing and, and certainly all that class uh, does. So, uh, Hakeem, just um, we've mentioned this term collateral consequences. I mentioned it a couple of times at the at the beginning of the show in the intro. And we um, do. We just mentioned some of the barriers that folks are facing. Can you talk to us a little bit at a high level? What are collateral consequences? And can you give us just a, a few examples of collateral consequences that that justice involved folk, people or folks with records might commonly face? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a great question uh, in this conversation, um, because when we talk about the criminal justice system, we're talking about what has been deemed necessary for people to have paid what is called a debt back to society. Right. And so an individual is accused of committing some form of crime, of violating the law, and then is ultimately prosecuted, or perhaps if they're convicted um, and they're sentenced to prison, when they finish their prison sentence or their probation, their, their terms that the court has imposed, according to the law, they are supposed to be uh, actually returned back to the same status that they were in prior to the conviction, meaning that they are actually redeemed because they have paid their debt to society. But for some reason, in America's criminal justice system, we seem to have skipped over that real philosophy and rationale for why we are disciplining and punishing our citizens, right? And by skipping over that, what we've done is we found a way to extend the punishment to beyond just a mere sentence. So if a person is sentenced to 10 years of hard labor in prison for the crime that they were convicted of, when that 10 years is over with, unfortunately, we in society and systems, we have created these long-term consequential um, circumstances in which a person is still punished after the conviction, after the 10 years, a person is still punished by dint of various non-written and oftentimes written policies and practices of institutions and systems, such as in housing, for example. A person can have went to prison, paid their debt to society, been returned to society, and is seeking to pick their life back up and could apply for housing and be denied housing strictly on the basis of a past criminal record. Likewise, it could be with employment. An individual could go seek employment, and because of a past criminal history, that individual could be denied employment. Those are collateral consequences, meaning that there is a, a number of consequences that happen collaterally after the conviction. And so it's very important that we really talk about how these collateral consequences are really outside the norm of the criminal justice system, and it's a practice that we must begin to challenge. Thanks, Hakeem. So we're talking about people after their sentence is over, having trouble getting jobs, having trouble getting housing, having trouble getting education. Let's talk more right when we come back from this break here on the Generation Progress Takeover. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Hello. Welcome back, Brent. Um, and also, I want to say a special welcome back to our great guests who are joining us today, Hakeem Crampton from Just Leadership USA, as well as Dewey Pham from the Center for Law and Social Policy, also called CLASP. Thanks so much for joining us again today. 
so we're here talking about Second Chance Month. Um, it is April, Second Chance Month. Um, aim to provide an extra opportunity to examine the impacts of collateral consequences for justice-involved people uh, and to work towards solutions that allow people to move forward with their lives um, and realize their full potential without the barriers that collateral consequences uh, sort of throw up in front of people here. Um, and Joy, I wanna I wanna start this uh, this segment with you. I wanted to ask you. Um, so, who is it uh, through through your professional experience and your work with CLASP um, who can be impacted by collateral consequences? Uh, is it just people who have been convicted of certain crimes or received certain sentences? Um, how pervasive um, is this problem? Yeah, absolutely not. Just anybody who hasn't been, you know, um, we know that, you know, about one in three Americans have a, an arrest or conviction record. Um, and I, you know, know that nowadays, too, how easy it is for you just to Google somebody and see that arrest record. And that can have really devastating and perpetual impacts on people. Um, and really just to build off of what Hakeem was saying um, last as well, it's like that, you know, the, the, the notion that it's a collateral consequence is a little bit of a misnomer in the sense that it's really a you know, and a lot of advocates have been really pushing this language that it's really a perpetual and permanent punishment that is placed on, you know, people who have any criminal legal histories um, that, you know, and, and again, if, if we wanted to believe that the sentence is the is the punishment that there, you know, that there shouldn't be anything that continues beyond that, then we're really kind of, um, you know, putting on these undue burdens on people that, again, impacts about one in three, mostly um, black and brown people, young people of color, especially um, are disproportionately impacted. We think about the school to prison pipeline and how, you know, young, young black and brown students are more likely to be, um, you know, arrested in school and have um, police officers called on them while they're in school. And, you know, all the, all the, uh, you know, there are plenty of permanent and collateral consequences that are on the books that make it, you know, hard, impossible really for people to find employment, find housing. Um, but there are also just a number of collateral consequences like um, not being you know, just being in and out of the justice system, how that can really damage your um, employment opportunities, um, you know, having to check in with your probation officer, um, you know, regularly as well, finding employment that way is difficult. So just really kind of a host of, you know, off the books um, punishments that just are pervasive and really um, inhibit people from accessing opportunity. You know, Dewey, there, there are two sort of, um, and I love the, the reframing as we talk about it as perpetual punishment as opposed to collateral consequences. And there are two that sort of stick out to me and I think sometimes shock people a little bit. One is uh, for a long time in New York, and I know this is true in other states, the licensing board didn't allow people with records to become barbers. Like you couldn't cut somebody's hair if you had a criminal record, even though a lot of those same folks for those who had gone to prison, worked in the barbershop and cut people's hair for years. But for whatever reason, the licensing board in New York for a long time didn't allow that to be the case. And so, you know, I think that sometimes shocks people. Like we're talking about people not being allowed to be cosmetologists or barbers or electricians or um, you name it, uh, lawyers, Wild, attorneys. Wildfire fighters. Wildfire fighters, that's right. Proud to be on the board of, of FFRP, Forestry and Fire Recruitment Project that where folks were firefighters on the inside and were prevented from becoming wildland firefighters when they came home. Despite um, having all the training. Sorry, I learned about this from Brian. <laughs> I'm all fired exactly. up about it. No Des, 
despite despite having all the training paid for, in fact, by the state to provide that training. Um, and then we saw a uh, shout out to Tara Simmons in, in Washington State, who just had her first bill passed to reinstate voting rights um, for formerly incarcerated folks who she had to fight to become uh, licensed as an attorney because there was licensing restrictions there. Uh, and then the second thing that, that comes to mind for me is the fact one of these sort of unknown punishments is for a lot of people, they're not allowed to go on field trips with their kids. They're not allowed to come to the classroom and read a book. They are prevented in many places from volunteering in the classrooms with their children, uh, regardless of what the conviction was for. Uh, and that's just something that is staggering to me. And I think catches a lot of folks who may not be seeped in this work sort of off guard. Um, so, you know, Hakeem, it, we, you know, at Generation Progress, a lot of our work really focuses on young people and wondering if you can share a bit about how young people in particular are, are affected by collateral consequences or by perpetual punishment of the criminal legal system. Yeah, sure. You know, there, there's been a longstanding term that I grew up under um, in the 80s um, from my generation. And we were a generation of young juveniles that were kind of told that we were either going to be dead or in prison by the time we were 18. So that by the time we left our juvenile age, by the time we were adults, we would either be dead or in prison. And that was a very harrowing fate for young for young people of color, particularly on the United States. And I happen to have been one of them. And, and one of the things that is clear about the collateral consequences that impact young people is that that so-called rap sheet, it, it is designed to really follow a person, right? And so you could have developed a rap sheet, having had contact with the criminal justice system as a juvenile. And by the time, if you are so unfortunate to have contact with the adult system, by the time you do have contact with the adult system, that juvenile record has followed you there. And those consequences of having that juvenile record then materialize in your life as an adult. And it could affect you in ways that you don't even think about, because one of the things about young people is that young people are still growing and developing. So the past mistakes that they made as, as in their young adolescence, those aren't the mistakes that they're, that they're going to remain with them for the rest of their lives. We have to give young people a real chance to grow, to make mistakes and to grow from those mistakes. And we're not doing that. Um, and so young people have a, a, a rough time transitioning from school um, back to family when there's juvenile justice involvement. They have a very hard time uh, transitioning uh, back to family life should they uh, find themselves incarcerated. Um, and so it's just a very harrowing fate for a lot of juveniles um, in, in the criminal justice system and what could happen to them potentially for their adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, thinking also about um, young adults, right, young people who, who might be over 18, but 19, 20 year olds, how, do, how does a, how does the the sort of punishment or the collateral consequence of their conviction really stick with them? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a critical stage of their life when they're just beginning their adulthood, right? So those past mistakes that they made at 17, 18, 19, those are the ones that we really should be working with to help them get beyond them, to get them expunged or set aside in their past records, because this is a critical age for this young person who is going to be a contributor to society by bringing in children into this world, bringing in a family into this world. And if this young man or young woman is prevented from moving forward with housing, with employment because of the, the collateral consequences of a past mistake, it in fact prevents that person from raising their family in our society. Yeah, that I mean, that's just 
staggering. The the sooner, the younger you are, the longer you have to live with those consequences. Um, so thank you so much, Hakeem. Um, you're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, it is Second Chance Month, the month of April, and we're talking about uh, making sure that folks are not suffering the punishment of their actions for the rest of their lives. We'll be right back. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hello, Hello. Welcome. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Brendan and I both wanted to bring you back. That's right. I was I was ready, Charlotte, but uh, I, I heard you go, jump in, so I was like, time for me to be quiet. <laughs> uh, well, welcome back to our special guest. We've got Hakeem Crampton from Just Leadership USA, as well as Dewey Pham from CLAST. Thank you both so much for joining us on the air today. Uh, we are talking about uh, collateral consequences here in Second Chance Month. Um, and uh, I want to bring it back to Dewey. Dewey, um, we were talking about uh, some right before the break here. We were talking a little bit about uh, common misconceptions um, around uh, these sort of um, unintended lifelong consequences, um, lifelong punishments um, and their impact on them. So what are what are some common misconceptions around collateral consequences and uh, their impact that we have to sort of dismantle and take apart here? Yeah, thanks for this question. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest ones is really understanding that collateral consequences, as we we're talking about now, is perpetual punishments are individual, you know, cho- like choices or they arise because of individual um, actions and behaviors, but that's really just not true. Um, we know that, you know, the justice system has, you know, what we've been learning for the past several years, how it really with surgical precision really targets low income black and brown people. Um, and in young, young people as well, you know, in their communities, um, young people just really aren't safe in their own communities from, um, you know, police, from interaction with law enforcement and things like that, that can really, um, obviously, you know, create these collateral consequences that really are um, forced upon them. So it's really a, about, you know, a failure of the public system to meaningfully invest in our, um, you know, our communities, our most marginalized communities, most historically oppressed communities um, that haven't been meaningfully invested in that kind of creates this interaction with the criminal justice system, which then creates these perpetual punishments that, you know, prevent, um, you know, it creates a cycle of, of poverty and a cycle of um, a lack of economic mobility in, in so many communities for far too long. So I think really just dismantling the notion that it's an individual action, it's, you know, that it's really up to all of us. It's really up to, you know, policymakers to really um, kind of redress all of these deep-seated inequities that have been forced upon um, communities for way too long. You know, one of the things that I that I that I often think about um, is the fact that the very same action in two different communities can yield very different results. And so we know. I mean, I I, I don't know the latest data on it, but I think for years they've been talking about the fact that um, black youth and white youth use drugs at the same rates, and yet black young people are way more likely. And again, I don't remember the exact statistic at this point, but way more likely to be arrested for drug possession. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the way communities of color are, are policed versus the way white communities are policed. 
And so when we think about things like stop and frisk, when we think about things like, um, you know, pat downs on the street, well, if you happen to have a dime bag in your pocket, that could be your first or second arrest, um, which can begin to bring these perpetual punishments or collateral consequences that we've been talking about, even though a kid on the, on the other side of town is doing the exact same thing, the exact same behavior, but not be exposed to the same type of policing and therefore not have the, the, the sort of lifetime punishment that goes along with it. And again, the sentence for having, uh, a, you know, a dime bag or, or, or a small amount of drugs in your pocket might be, um, might not result in jail time. It may not result in prison, but that doesn't mean that the punishment isn't significant. It doesn't mean that um, it can't impact your life. And what we're talking about is the fact that even a simple arrest or a conviction can can lead to somebody not qualifying for financial aid for higher education. It can lead to them not getting that job that then results in the next job and the one after that. It can um, keep someone out of housing from getting an apartment, um, from having stable housing for them and their families. And so. Again, that's a that's not a difference in behavior from the person. It's a difference in terms of how the system of policing or incarceration or criminal legal system treats that person for the exact same actions. Um, and so, Dewey, to your point, I totally agree. It's not about an individual action here. Um, you know, uh, Hakeem, some of the you you just sort of begun to talk a little bit about potential solutions here. You had mentioned set aside, I think, and among a couple of other things. What are some of the solutions that that organizations like yours, like Just Leadership, want to see enacted to prevent the collateral consequences or perpetual punishments like the ones we've been discussing um, from continuing to impact justice involved people uh, throughout their lifetimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here in the state of Michigan, where I'm currently residing, we just got through going through uh, about a two year battle to get a new legislative package passed um, that would uh, increase who would be eligible for and when a person will be eligible for what's called a Michigan set aside. And that is translating to a expungement um, that allows a person's record past criminal record to be set aside from public view. I think that we must really start with legislative change. We have to start by changing laws that allow for these collateral consequences to exist. Starting there really changes uh, the, the written policies, right, the written laws that are in place. But then we must really be aggressive in identifying what unwritten policies and practices the institutions and systems are still utilizing that actually, you know, brings about uh, the continuance of systems that maintain collateral consequences in our lives. So I, I think that it's real clear and critical that we really get involved with the education piece to educate our society uh, about the harms of collateral consequences, but more importantly, about how collateral consequences are actually antithetical to the criminal justice system. We want to be able to adequately punish people for the crimes they committed, but once their punishment is over, we want the punishment to be over so they can move on with their lives. If they're not allowed to move on with their lives, then um, as Dewey said, that punishment is lifelong and continuous forever. And so I, I think that policy change is the first step, right? We have to change legislation and policy that is currently being enacted. Here in Michigan, we're currently also working on housing. Um, we're working on housing ordinances. If we can get municipalities to pass housing ordinances that allow them um, to, to allow city councils to prevent landlords from outright blanket 
denying a person access to housing because of a criminal conviction. So again, it starts with legislative and policy change. I just, I love the fact that you said it is antithetical to the justice system itself. If the goal is for people to, 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 to yes, be held accountable or be punished for their actions, but then to move on and not continue to be involved with the justice system, these barriers to housing, education, and employment are antithetical to that goal. They will yeah. force people and prevent people from being successful and force them back into the system itself. Is that, is that, is that what you're saying, Hakeem? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, and that, I mean, that's just so important for people to know these, these, these consequences, these collateral consequences, punishments, um, do real harm. Um, so, you know, do we any, you know, Hakeem just talked about some of the work that, that he's been involved with in Michigan and some of the ways, you know, talk about expungement. And we know the research from Al Bloomstein and, 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 um, Kiminori Nakamura that talk about stale records. The fact that people who have not been arrested for a number of years, that record, they are no more likely to get arrested than anybody else on the street. And so sealing or expungement is so important. Is there anything else from CLASP's perspective that, that you'd like to see from a solution perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we could probably talk about this for a lot longer. But one thing I've definitely wanted to focus on since it's a little bit new is the Biden infrastructure and jobs plan that was just announced last week. And we see in there how they do have a, you know, a small kind of, um, emphasis on training people, you know, workforce development opportunities for people who have been formerly incarcerated. But I think really working on expanding that definition and, and really thinking about what a subsidized employment program, what a permanent jobs program is, um, you know, that can not only just, you know, get our economy back on track and, you know, uh, help with uh, the mass unemployment. And we've recognized, too, that even before the pandemic, people who had been impacted by justice system were unemployed about, you know, five times the rate of the general public um, and which and even greater for black and brown men and women who had been formerly incarcerated. So I think, you know, we have to we have an opportunity here with this American jobs plan to really, again, redress some of these deep seated inequities in our in our country. Um, so that starts with, you know, prioritizing and not just, you know, making it accessible to people who have been impacted by the justice system, who have records, but really prioritizing jobs and opportunities for that pay living wages that, you know, that, that have all the, um, the core components of a, a, a quality job, um, in them that, that they're prioritized, that they're targeted, that they're connected to, um, and it's young people, it's, it's people impacted by the justice system. So it's, you know, really expanding that view and thinking more about um, how we can um, kind of uh, use this opportunity from this pandemic, obviously, and recognize that, you know, people who with records now are finding it, having, a, and having an even harder time finding employment opportunities um, and jobs during the pandemic while, while the rest of America is as well. But understanding that, you know, this is something that we really need to think about if we're serious about equity, if we're serious about justice. Um, yeah, for and sure. For I sure. just quickly mentioned too, I think, you know, the obvious legalization pieces and marijuana legalization happened in New York and recognizing that um, that piece of that too and how we can move forward on that. So I'll stop. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And we had two big legalization wins in just the last couple of weeks here. So we'll talk more in just a few minutes when we come back from this break about Second Chance Month and what solutions we need going forward. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. 
And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And Brent, I am so glad that you're co-hosting with me today because I know that this is a subject you know so much about. So I want to make sure that you get as much of the airtime as possible. And I am happy to listen and learn. <laughs> I appreciate you letting me hog all the airtime. <laughs> no, I, I, I know that this is something you're really passionate about. So really glad to have your expertise along with the guests. Thanks. Yeah, for folks for folks who don't know, this is this is what the vast majority of my career has been is has been um, working on things like uh, shrinking the overall size of the criminal legal system, getting folks out of prisons and jails and off of probation and off of parole, knowing that community supervision, as it's called, is is really a tripwire for incarceration in so many respects, um, and getting to work with folks like Hakeem and Dewey and so many others in the field um, who are doing great work, and and as you know. I just mentioned their names, but we are we are joined by two expert guests, Hakeem Crampton, Movement and Capacity Building Specialist at Just Leadership USA, and Dewey Pham, Policy Analyst at Center for Law and Social Policy. So um, before before I before I kick it back over to Hakeem and Dewey with a question, there are two thoughts that I had in going into break that I just wanted to mention quickly here. One is Dewey mentioned the American Jobs Plan, and I'm I'm so glad you did. Um, one of the things that's embedded in the American Jobs Plan that uh, President Biden just released is uh, five billion dollars. Uh, he's, he's proposing five billion dollars uh, to really invest in community-based violence intervention, um, evidence-based community violence prevention programs. And one of the things we know, if we're going to tackle mass incarceration, we need to tackle violence differently as well. The sort of age-old approach of trail them, nail them, and jail them, arrest and prosecute and incarcerate just simply doesn't work. We have opportunities to invest in community-led violence intervention programs, and it's really telling that President Biden has has put forward this plan, and a huge credit goes out to Community Justice Action Fund and so many other organizers and advocates out there who have been calling on the executive branch to invest in us uh, as their as their uh, uh, advocacy campaign is called, um, and we're seeing the fruits of that labor here. And the other thing I wanted to just mention is, as much as we're talking about Second Chance Month, and, and again, huge kudos to the organizers um, and, and organizations who have made Second Chance Month a reality, um, also recognizing that for a lot of folks, they don't ever get that first chance. Um, and also, sometimes people need three, four, five, or six times of chances, and that's okay, too. And I think, you know, really not getting um, embedded in this idea that you only get a second chance and then you're done. But in fact, people might mess up three, four or five times. Uh, certainly I know I did in my life and needed those those multiple chances. So, you know, um, we've talked a bit. Hakeem talked about the set aside in the legislative package that they worked on in Michigan that went through the Michigan state legislature. Legislature, excuse me. Dewey mentioned the American Jobs Plan, which is an executive proposal by President Biden that requires congressional approval. Um, so, Dewey, what are what are some of the the potential avenues? Right? Is it state legislation? Is it federal legislation? Is it the executive branch um, that that where we can get these things put into place? And for listeners who are at home who might want to take action during Second Chance Month, where would you suggest they go to try to get movement on this issue right now? Yeah, definitely. I think you know it's certainly all of the above. We're certainly seeing a lot of movement at the federal level, but also at the state level as we're just kind of talking about right before the break, we've been seeing some really landmark wins in legalization in marijuana, you know, namely in New York. But just what kind of goes with legalization, too, is that reinvestment piece. And, you know, really happy because of, you know, like just leadership, because of Hakeem's leadership there in New York, um, being able to say that, you know, the 
some of the revenue generated from legalization will be reinvested back into communities. That's the biggest part. You know, it's really messed up when you know there are people who are, you know, when there's states are legalizing uh, marijuana and there are people who are currently incarcerated for marijuana convictions. That's like the most ridiculous thing, I feel like. So, you know, that's definitely happening at the state and local levels as well. Um, and, you know, uh, I think, you know, we definitely still also have to think of that, you know, this isn't just about the criminal legal system and the criminal justice system. One of my friends, Jasmine Delafosse at the Gathering for Justice, always says the best investment in people is an investment in people. Um, and really just understanding that it's, you know, it's taking this out of the justice conversation and bringing it into the conversation about infrastructure, the conversation about recovery and making sure that, you know, that, um, you know, we're thinking about people impacted by justice system, young people impacted by justice system. Um, when we're talking about, you know, re- returning to school, reopening, um, you know, more jobs and things like that. And so for other people who want to get involved, just really being cognizant of when that language comes up that, you know, it's, oh, you know, all these ex-criminals are getting jobs and they're pri- being prioritized for vaccinations or et cetera. And really understanding that there's no difference between them and, you know, them and us kind of mentality that we really have to fight back against. Um, Decognizant. We've seen a lot of that coming out of New York lately, with um, a lot of their efforts on um, on sentencing reform and 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 things like that. So, um, you know, just really and kind of like the misinformation that gets out there. So, really being cognizant, pushing back, and really getting rid of this us first them mentality um, that we've been so you know so accustomed to over the past few years. For sure, for sure. And thanks for mentioning the the legalization wins there in New York. I want to give a shout out to Drug Policy Alliance who who helped lead that work and the the visionary leadership there of Cassandra Federique who yeah, um, made sure that automatic expungements went in for people who have been convicted of past marijuana possession. Um, and as you said, some of that new tax money will be reinvested here as well. So uh, Hakeem, um, wanna wanna kick it over to you here um, and just one, where can folks go to learn to learn more about you and your work? And two. For the you know, same question that I asked of Dewey, if, if there are ways that people can get involved, is there anything in particular that you would suggest for someone who might be at home right now and thinking, like, how do I how do I help push on this issue a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the great question. It was a great response previously. Um, <clears throat> first, I would say that, you know, we here at Just Leadership USA, we can be reached and our website is um, very visible. Uh, JLUSA.org. We have a lot of things going on, particularly with our new Just Us campaign, um, seeking, you know, national policy around emergency management when it comes to incarceration and, and what is happening um, inside prisons and facilities about saving and protecting the lives of those that are incarcerated. Um, but getting involved um, in the community, not only could you, could anyone here listening get involved with any local organization doing some form of criminal justice work in their community. But what I really would suggest is that for anyone who wants to get involved to really lead the way, right? Take initiative in this field because there is not enough organizations, not enough people, not enough support in this field for us to accomplish the goal. So that means that we need more involvement, more volunteers, more activities. You know, we need the envelope opened, we need the jackets unzipped and we need everything, you know, uh, on the table to be pursued in an aggressive way. And I think that in cities right now, many cities are starting to get involved with reentry work, um, you know, returning citizens. There's a lot of language being used inside communities, cities and municipalities. And I would suggest for any listener to find out what your city is currently doing, um, what, what your actual your city mayor 
uh, your city manager, um, you know, your city council, what are they actually doing and see how you can get involved with that, with helping push that needle or helping get something established so that your city is actually involved with helping change policy because that's the next push. If you get involved in your community, you're still going to have to go to that next level to push the envelope, to get some policies changed, to get your local elected leaders involved in helping push this needle because it's going to take policy change. I love it. Hakeem, so you talked about starting local community. What's your city doing? Going to the community, you know, the, the local city council, for example. I would, and, and it can even be more local than that, right? What's your, what's your job's um, HR policy when it comes to hiring people with records? Do, yes. what's what's the policy does the application get thrown in the trash can or do people have an opportunity um to to get hired where you work what's your what's your children's schools policy when it comes to parents who want to volunteer but might have a criminal record from years past that's right um, and you know what Brent, i'm glad you mentioned that because this is what's key too many people are prevented from volunteering in schools but guess what we forget to realize those school policies, they're not law. It's not like the school policy is law that a, a person with a felony can't work in a school or can't volunteer in a school by law. That's not the case. It's actually just a written policy that a school board controls. We control the school board by dint of the fact that we are the elected body that represents the school. We vote school board members to represent us as community. We have to go to school boards and push them to challenge that policy at that level. That's what I did. And that's how I began doing my work in schools was by beating down the door of the school board and getting access to our children. Amazing. So we we are just 60 seconds out. Dewey, quickly, if you could tell us where folks can find more info about your work, what your website is. Yeah, thanks so much. So it's class.org, C-L-A-S-P.org. And I just wanted to quickly shout out, we just launched a new initiative called the New Deal for Youth. And this is really important. And working with about 40 young adult organizers from across the country. So you can follow that at newdealforyouth.org and follow us on social media, um, New Deal for the number and then youth as well. And this is a huge um, issue for us as well. So I wanted to um, shout them out. Amazing, amazing. So that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to today's guests, Hakeem Crampton and Dewey Pham, our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our communications manager, Emily Leach, uh, to my co-host, Charlotte Hancock, and to all of our listeners. Make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Gen Progress. We'll talk to you again on our next remote Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Thanks, everybody. You heard you could save big when you bundle home and auto with Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw a link for a survey about which type of bread you are. And now you're on question 17, barely scratching the surface of your bread identity. You always thought of yourself as a brioche, but are you actually more of a pumpernickel? Ah, yes. They said it was easy to save money bundling with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Come celebrate Lowe's first annual Spring Fest and give your lawn the look it deserves with five bags of premium mulch for $10 or three 19.3-ounce Bonnie vegetables and herbs for $9. Spring Fest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home, in-store or online. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid through 421 while supplies last, in-store only. Selection varies by location, U.S. only, excluding Alaska and Hawaii.